Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Council Podcast. My name is Matt and I'm joined today by Vivek, G and Dylan to recap NBA free agency. We'll be analyzing the Lakers' wild offseason and whether or not all the moves to make them a super team with the ability to win the NBA Finals next year. We will also compare which team had the better offseason between the Chicago Bulls and the Miami Heat and who had the worst offseason between the Portland Trailblazers and Philadelphia 76ers. Finally, we will review the Warriors offseason and whether they've done enough to contend this upcoming season. Today is August 8th, 2021, and this is the 25th episode of the show. Again, shout out to Mexico Rio for this awesome opening track. But let's get right into it. The Los Angeles Lakers, it was reported on July 29th that the Lakers would be trading for the former MVP and Wizards point guard, Russell Westbrook, sending out forwards Kyle Kuzma, Montrezl Harrell, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and the 22nd overall pick in the 2021 NBA draft. To complete this offseason, they also signed forwards Trevor Ariza, guard Wayne Ellington, center Dwight Howard, making that third straight return, Carmelo Anthony, Malik Monk, and Kendrick Nunn. So the Lakers basically remodeled their entire team, uh, shipping out all the pieces yet again to complete the LeBron and Anthony Davis core. And it's obvious that they're making another championship run. The only question is, are they actually better or worse after all these moves? Yeah, for me, I think they did get better because just due to the roster roster being really, really bad last year, and not even just the individuals were bad. It was just when they gelled together, it didn't really work. And I think when you bring in players like Dwight, I think at this point, you know, Dwight coming back for the third time, he knows what his role is, you know. Um, Another person that we didn't mention yet was they re-signed Marcus Gasol, if I'm not mistaken, and he's not going to play very many minutes, and he knows what his role is as well. So these are the type of guys they're bringing in, you know. And, you know, Kendrick Nunn played on Miami Heat team from two years ago with very limited time where he shared with Drogic, he shared time with Hero, and he can play, you know, restricted minutes and come in when, you know, Russell Westbrook isn't, you know, doing his triple-double thing. So I think it'll work out, and it'll be a better team. And they did lose in the first round this year. So obviously I don't project them to have that type of season again. Um, I think they'll end up, you know, getting to maybe like this, depending on matchup, obviously get to like the conference finals. But I think, you know, um, they have Westbrook and I've never been a big Westbrook fan going down back to all to our other episodes, you know, and I think that's going to be one of the bigger reasons on why, uh, they're going to have like a limited offense. You know, we know he, what he can do, he can get triple doubles and he gets a lot of turnovers. He's very inefficient. You know, I'm not going to go into all that, but you know, it will end up hurting the Lakers when it comes to it. I think, I think it always does with Russell Westbrook teams. So I think they will be good in the overall, like comparison to what they were last year. But I think when it comes down to it, I think Russell Westbrook will, uh, bring the team down a bit and I think they could add a better point guard signing and given up less and, you know, been a better team. Do you rather have Dennis Schroeder or Russell Westbrook as a point oh, guard? Come on. That's Westbrook. <laughs> Don't disrespect that. Man. That's tough, man. That's tough. I mean, I think that what the Lakers have been needing for a very long time now is that you got LeBron, you got AD, you got your superstar forwards, but the thing is that they've always needed kind of like a playmaker other than LeBron on offense, someone who can control the pace of the game, control the offense, and, you know, just be able to ball handle and make passes. And they had that in the championship run. They had Rajon Rondo um, kind of being the vet guy there. But then 
he left for the Clippers, I believe, or um, yeah, or the Hawks, and then he got traded to the Clippers. But basically, they struggled with that all uh, this past season. They had Dennis Schroeder, of course, which uh, you know was kind of variable, like kind of a kind of inconsistent. I'd assume he had zero points in the play in one playoff game, and he asked for four years, eighty-four million. He turned it down actually, so it was clear that the Lakers needed a different kind of uh, option there. I think Russell Westbrook's going to give you that playmaking potential. Um, you know, you don't win the MVP for nothing, right? And he is obviously the triple-double master. But at the same time, like you said, G, it's just you get the Westbrook experience no matter what. And that's a lot of shot chucking usually. That's a lot of he has to dominate the ball sometimes. And it's a lot of inefficient shooting, especially from three-point range. It is not good that. Basically, they don't have a shooter at small forward, power forward, or point guard right now if we're at Spurk. And they needed shooters, right? They needed more outside scoring, and that's what they were trying to probably bring in with these other guys. Carmelo can probably knock down a couple buckets. Malik Monk, I believe, is a 40% three-point shooter. So it's going to be an interesting fit. I think they do get better in terms of kind of playmaking potential, but at the same time, I'm worried about that spacing. And I'm kind of worried that, you know, Russell Westbrook needs to understand that he is not the first option. He is not the second option. He has to fulfill his role and he shouldn't be going alpha hero ball at all. He is not the same Russell Westbrook. And the best way for the Lakers to win a championship is if Russell Westbrook stays in his lane. And there's been a theory basically saying that Westbrook, you can never win a championship with Russell Westbrook just because based off of his play, on how he elevates the team, but also his massive contract. It's hard to find a true sidekick or kind of the 1A, 1B option he had with Kevin Durant in OKC to be able to win a championship. And even then, they never won. So this is probably his best chance, and we'll see if that actually works out. I'm not a very big fan of the Lakers overall in terms of their roster potential, and here's why. Um, If you look at the entire roster from top down, uh, you can definitely tell that this offseason, they made a complete shift in what their identity was before versus now. And it's simply this, right? The Lakers uh, chose to get worse on defense and instead go for a complete offensive makeover. The additions of getting um, additions, maybe by subtraction of losing shooter and then bringing in guys like Ellington, um, Ariza, Nunn, Monk, uh, Carmelo Anthony, for example, all those guys are basically shooters. So they definitely got a lot better on the offensive end. And to your point, Matthew, about the spacing, um, I think that's the reason why, like you said, those guys were brought in. Because if you're going to be playing Russell Westbrook and LeBron James on the floor, you're going to need to have you know outside scoring to kind of complement that. But the other thing that you can also look at too is that Losing guys like uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, uh, Caruso, um, you know, you're going to be hurting under defense a, little bit, a lot, actually, because those were uh, two key guys that are very important to their championship run in 2020. Those guys were very good on defense and especially perimeter defense. So they got markedly worse on that front. So in terms of their overall potential, I don't really see how anyone besides Westbrook particularly moves the needle and I think they lost a lot more than what they gained and also Russell needs the ball in his hands to be effective as well and so you also have to kind of question the fit as well right when you have Russell Westbrook and you have LeBron James on the same team 
how is you know ball difference and ball handling duties going to be traded off during the playoffs, right? I think during the regular season, this is easily a top three team in the West at minimum. And just in terms of their uh, deepness of their roster, um, you know, the, how deep their bench is, how, you know, a lot of guys can just turn it on on any given night. There's a lot of shooters on this team, a lot of them who can be very effective. Um, I'm particularly high on Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn as signings for the Lakers. But I just don't see how this team can really make a run all the way to the top when playoff rotations come around, you're all going to tighten, you know. And I just don't see how these people um, on their team are just going to be able to put them over the top versus other teams like, you know, the Suns and uh, the Clippers. That's fair. I think the thing is also you got to understand the power vacuum that Kawhi Leonard's injury is kind of leaving on the West. I think you could obviously say the Clippers and the Lakers would be favorites, as well as the you know Nets as well in the East. But with Kawhi's injury, it kind of makes the Clippers more of a borderline conference championship team than you know obvious contenders. And you know the Nuggets, we aren't sure of Jamal Murray's injury, Warriors, Clay Thompson's injury. And the Suns, obviously, they're still going to return the same squad. CP3 is, has resigned with them. But you got to understand, like, maybe it was kind of a one-year wonder kind of thing there. So I would say right now, you'd, I'd put the Lakers as, you know, the top contender right now in the NBA, other than the Nets, I'd say. I'd say, like, Nets. I think they'd be favorites to come out the West. And I don't think you're crazy oh, yeah. to say that. You know, on paper, like, obviously, I think just because of the sheer name and, you know, players they have is just they're probably first you know but I don't think the gap between them and maybe the fourth or fifth best team is that big anymore you know like uh, if you're taking them versus the healthy nuggets I'm not saying the nuggets are a better team I'd say that they're not far off though you know Um, I would think that they're like I think they would put up a good very good series against the Lakers if anything you know so I don't know. I think you'll have to like really see how the Laker team goes on paper, but or, or on the court, but on paper, they are the best team in the West. Yeah, I definitely put them in that range right now. But let's also bring up another concern in the fact that the average age of the Lakers after signing, you know, not only I believe 32 year old Westbrook, they also added 37 year old Carmelo Anthony, 36 year old Trevor Ariza, which I actually did not know was still in the NBA. It was a surprise to me and 35-year-old Dwight Howard. And, you know, the Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn signings help um, lower the age, but the team right now has an average age of 31.4 years of age, making them clearly the oldest in the NBA. And a couple of teams are actually a whole decade younger than them right now. And this is a commonality with LeBron-led teams. Um, Some of the other oldest teams in the league used to be, you know, the 2011-2012 Heat, the 2012-2013 Heat, I believe the 2017-2018 Cavaliers. So are you worried at all about age? Are the Lakers an old folks home? Dylan, uh, would you like to respond? Um, I think the Lakers is kind of like all the previous, like kind of slightly washed pros because um, what, what my concern is, like based on what you said about like the Lakers age, right? They're like one decade older than some other teams, right? And I think in the Western Conference, right, what sticks out to me the most in terms of age is, like, if I was to compare, like, the Lakers and, like, the Suns, right? Because the Suns, they're, like, they're pretty young overall. I mean, 
other than like Chris Paul, even though he's probably like the oldest guy on the team. But when they go head to head, like for example, the Suns versus the Lakers, right? I have a feeling like because of the Suns' age, they might be able to outperform the Lakers because they're so young and spry. And um, compared to the Lakers, where like you have aging Carmelo Anthony, right? And like Dwight Howard and Trevor Reza, they're both pretty old, right? Yeah. And if they want to keep up with the uh, Suns, right? They have to play like during like 2009. It's a load management thing. You like, I feel like you have to have um, a requisite amount of minutes. Everyone has to play a requisite amount of minutes for in order for you to get a good top seed in the uh, in the playoffs. But at the same time, I think you know your two youngest players again. You have Malik Monk and you have Kendrick Nunn, and Anthony Davis is 28. But other than that, that's it. I'm pretty sure. Like, there's and no. THT. Oh like yeah, Horton Tucker too. How yeah. how could I forget the the goat? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I feel like I get what you're saying with their age, but you know, I think it has a lot to do with like the players LeBron wants around him. You know, obviously he's gonna have a lot of control of the team. That's we've we've known that to be a fact. And you know, um, that one Lakers team, I don't think gave him a very you know, that was one of his youngest teams that he's played with. And yeah, it was one of his worst teams that he played with. I'm talking the end with the initial Lakers roster that he came in with. And yeah, the you know, I think Lakers. yeah, the losing Lakers, right. And you know, he didn't want to, you know, re-experience that by trying to wait for other younger players to develop and you know the immaturity that comes with the, you know a teams that are gonna be a decade younger. He is what 30, 30 something, like in the late 30s now. He's 36. You know, 36. 36. Yeah, right. 36. He's like, I mean, you know, you can't expect him to want to like, you know, keep younger guys around, especially the ones that are more immature and you know, they're gonna be not focused on basketball, but just, you know, worried about other things, you know, it's hard to say that, you know, talking about LeBron when he's doing so many other things, but you know, he demands like a certain level of dedication to the game and a certain hardworking attitude to really be a championship team. And he knows what that takes. So, you know, he's, I feel like he's surrounded players himself with, you know, like Carmelo Anthony hasn't won a championship, but he has not, he literally does nothing other than play basketball. Right. Dwight Howard knows what it's been a bit to be like with play with LeBron before. So you could tell the type of players that he he's trying to surround himself with. And, you know, even though they are a bit older, you know, as long as they stay healthy and they can run a, a good rotation, consistently run that and not have to, you know, like rely heavily on anybody's minutes. They should be fine going into the regular season. You know, they don't need that one seed like other teams do. They can go in as a three or a four and, you know, do what they did two years ago and, you know, go on to win a championship, but I don't know if they will, but I don't think the age will be the thing stopping them. Do you think injuries have anything to do with it? I think so. I mean, it's not always damaged for a reason, you know? AD, that sounds unreliable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree with G in the sense that I'm not too concerned about age because with the exception of Westbrook, I think that all these guys – that are above 30 or 30 or above, they won't likely be playing for more than like uh, 25, 28 minutes a game because they just have a very like, they have a pretty deep roster uh, by all means. Um, so I don't really see one particular player uh, having to play like 30 plus minutes on back-to-back slot. And I'm pretty sure that having a big roster 
uh, a very playable roster for like up to like their 11th or 12th spots in the team. Really, that's going to help a lot um, when it comes to the regular season. So a lot of them will be fresh come playoff time. And even that too, you know, usually the playoffs rotation shorten up a little bit. So I wouldn't really be too concerned about that as well. So their overall age, their 30 plus year old players aren't going to be playing a lot of minutes per game. Plus like, you know, with the, things about you know modern medicine and recovery methods that are there you commonly see people are playing been pushing their 40s even in terms of playing time so you're talking are you talking about that mary jane hey the, man matt Bar- the matt barnes after the matt, that, matt, that matt barnes stephen jackson special you already know that al jefferson special i thought yep. you guys were talking about tb12 but okay oh man <laughs> but yeah th- that's off. the thing right like recovery methods have gotten better um sports medicine has gotten better and i'm pretty sure that like that's just one of many reasons as to why um age really isn't going to be a big determinant in this run because if they were playing a pace like they were trying to push the pace you know try to run transition basketball kind of like how lebron was trying to play uh when he had brandon ingram and lonzo ball on the team and during lebron's loser lakers then yeah of course that's going to be a concern right because that's how lebron got the groin strain and that's how the lakers ended up missing the playoffs but now what's happening is that they're playing a slower style of ball they're going back to the classic lebron model where he basically drives in kicks it out he's the playmaker he kicks it out to people in the corner i have, I have a ball. question for you though i have a question yeah. for you don't you feel like the i see i get what you're saying and logically like all the signings do fall under that except the one and that's russell westbrook the biggest one of the off season he doesn't fall into that type of kind of category he has his own pace you know he has that 100 percent i'm gonna throw myself at the rim and i'm gonna go as hard as i can every play and uncontrollably you know play which has gotten an mvp and you're almost what like 200 triple doubles i'm not saying it's the wrong way to play but it doesn't really sound like the rest of the lakers roster can really be playing at that same type of Wesley westbrook you know mentality and he we've seen time after time he doesn't change the way he plays so don't you feel like those two things kind of contradict each other there a bit yeah, so that's a great question. And my answer is this, right? Um, it really depends on how they stagger the rotations with Russell Westbrook and LeBron. Um, the real benefit, really the only benefit in my mind of bringing Russell Westbrook on this team is that he kind of acts as an innings eater for LeBron, right? During the regular season, uh, Russell Westbrook can take a lot of the playmaking slack off LeBron and he can mm-hmm. kind of go pop off during games where he puts up insane triple doubles and really good statistics on paper and, right. you know, leads teams to victories. But um, in, in that sense, you know, even when Russell Westbrook does play, right. Um, he, if you, he often pushes the ball up during transition by himself. Um, so there's times where he's basically a one man fast break. And obviously, yeah, as he does become older and older, you start to kind of worry about whether his athleticism is going to decline. It's an inevitably, inevitably will at some point, right? Because, you know, where everyone gets old. But um, as per now, you know, his last season in Washington, uh, he, he really put the team on his back a lot of the time too, along with Bradley Beal. And he was able to carry that team and, you know, get them back to the playoffs. Um, did it look good at times or really ever? Not really. Was it efficient? No. Was it ugly? 
Yeah, it was. Yeah, but, but this is not, know, this is the rest not the of East anymore. Special. This is not the East anymore. You're going to be going against Steph Curry. You're going to be going Luca, Chris Paul. You're going to be going against, yeah. you know, oh. top tier point guards. You're not going to be going against. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Chris Dunn. And and that's where, and that's why I feel like the Lakers just probably aren't going to be able to go that far if Russell Westbrook doesn't change his approach come playoff time. I'm saying during the regular season, you know, it'll probably be okay because you know teams it's a it's a marathon, right? During the regular season, 82 games, you kind of mm-hmm. just want to be able to have certain players go off at certain points of the season. Um, right. so, and I don't disagree yeah. with you. I think I think dude, the peak of the Lakers season will be in the regular season. At one point, they're gonna have all three AD, Braun, Russell Westbrook out there, and Russell Westbrook's probably gonna have a triple double, throw up a lob to someone or something, and everybody's gonna be going raving about how good the Lakers look, right? And then the, and, and, and then that's gonna, gonna be their peak. That that's their peak games. right there. Yeah, exactly. And people and, will just hype them up, but I right, feel like but they're just then gonna by fall playoff apart. time. When you're when you're going against you know quality team after quality team you know like if you have got Russell Westbrook as your point guard you know I'm taking five six point guards in the West over him you know oh and absolutely it, yeah. and you know and then he takes you know he takes matchups personally like that and you know that had like against the Thunder and then when they were playing against the Trailblazers he took that Dame matchup as a one one on one where he started taking threes he let Dame get in his head and couldn't play you know he made a personal the, and he, he lost made, the game. Right, exactly. So I feel like, you know, I'm not saying he's going to do all that again. Obviously, that's why Ron's there, AD's there. But, you know, he could still, you know, could still bring down the team a bit, you know. And, you know, when you're supposed to play playoffs, if I remember, you're always supposed to turn it up a notch, not bring it down a bit, which is what I know, what how he's had against Russell Westbrook is that, you know, playoff time, he doesn't seem to, like, become more efficient and, you know, even, you know, become a greater player. He takes yeah. – becomes more inefficient has more turnovers shoots a lower percentage and you know that's why i feel like you know where the lakers really you know maybe in the second round against the warriors or something like that where they got a guy like stephen curry or dame or something like that that are going really just you know pounding threes or you know just doing their stuff that you know could get to russell westbrook i think then we'll like we'll see the real downfall of the lakers I think it all depends on whether Russell Westbrook, again, assumes his role. It's a matter of whether LeBron and AD are there, first of all. It's never mm-hmm. a guarantee anymore with AD's availability. And if he's not there, basically, I think they're doomed because then they're going to have to rely on Russell Westbrook to win games. And no team basically ever wins when they rely on Russell Westbrook. That's just plain and simple. When he was the first option, once Kevin Durant left, he never won a playoff series. No KC after that. And right. And he's only now only really made yeah. it past the first round once since then. Yeah. And Harden was his uh first option there. So and then he lost to the Lakers because why? Because they, 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 they doubled off Westbrook. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy that he <laughs> goes to the Lakers after they disrespected him like that. You know, like you would play against someone, disrespect them, and then trade for them, which makes no sense to me. That's just like you know, you knew he was not good, but you're like, fuck it, we'll still take him, you know? Again, yeah, I just want to quote Dennis this too by uh, Zach Harper of The Athletic. Quote, Westbrook is arguably the worst three-point cheater in NBA history considering volume taken. For players who've taken at least 2,000 attempts in their career, only Charles Barkley at 26.6% is worse than Russell Westbrook, 30.5%. And Westbrook took over 1,400 more attempts from deep, nearly doubling Barkley's career volume. Sounds oh, great. I need to hear. 
the Suns. Oh, I, I want to trade everything for him. I mean, okay. First of all, I want to give a brownie point. And can anyone name the team that Trevor Ariza was on last year? I'll give you the prompt heat. some shit. The Heat? Yeah. Is it not? Is it? Yeah, you're correct. Let's go. <laughs> I've been keeping up with Trevor Ariza, bro. I straight why? <laughs> Nah, I saw him in the playoffs. They gave him minutes. You know, that's how bad, bad, down bad they were last year. Oh and I was surprised as much as you were hearing that. I was like, where the hell was Trevor Ariza? I haven't heard from him since the Rockets. Yeah, I heard, right. only heard him since Houston. After that, after he left Houston, I was like, oh, whatever. And I think I seen a thing on Instagram where it was like PJ Tucker has beaten all his uh, former Rocket teammates. And then I was like, wait, he beat, he beat Trevor Ariza? And I'm like, yeah, he was on the Heat. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Trevor Ariza's really... Thugging it out at age like 37. Yeah. I guess they don't count Westbrook as one of his teammates. Because no one wants to count Westbrook. They played <laughs> together in Houston. Oh, they did. That's so sad. <laughs> that's, a, that's a shame. Okay. Um, oh, also, before we move on to the next segment, uh, Gav is unfortunately sick with allergies, so he wasn't able to make it. But he did want me to tell um, for the podcast, he wanted me to say, and I quote, fuck the pussy-ass LeBron-led Lakers. When that bum leaves our team and ADs the man, call me. And the Lakers are just a washed-up retirement home with uh, washed-up dudes chasing butterflies. Chasing <laughs> What's, butterflies? Funny? <laughs> What's funny to me is he's a Lakers fan. He's, he's shitting on his own, his own team. I mean, come on, man. He did say, call me once AD's just there, right? Yeah. I mean, okay, yeah. One last one about the Lakers. They're only going as far as AD takes them this season. That's for sure. Would you ever rely on AD to be the guy? Because we saw that before. If he's healthy, he's capable of being the guy, honestly. He's been the second time. Yeah. (laughs) When A. Disney isn't injured, he's a pretty good player. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. He folded under the pressure in New Orleans. That's why he had to go to LeBron. I'm not a fan. Okay. We're moving on to Gav's supposed new uh, fandom, the Chicago Bulls. They signed, um, they did a sign-in trade for Lonzo Ball. They also did a sign-in trade for DeMar DeRozan. And they also signed the GOAT Laker, Alex Caruso. Um, And that was a very good kind of offseason for them. But Let's not also get carried away. The Miami Heat also had a great offseason out in the East. They signed and traded for Kyle Lowry, and they also signed P.J. Tucker as well. And I believe with the Kyle Lowry signing, they shipped away Goran Dragic. So which offseason do you feel like is going to be better? Which team do you feel like is going to be better come the playoffs, come this season? Do you like these moves at all? I think with these moves, uh, they're definitely leaning more towards short-term gain rather than long-term success, um, especially when you consider DeRozan signing with the Bulls, right? Um, he turned down a lot more money from the Lakers to join the Bulls. And the contract when, for when he turns, uh, it's a three-year, I believe, three years, 87, 88 million. And I think that, or I believe it's 90 actually. And Lonzo Ball, this is actually pretty good value. He got, uh, I believe, well, it was three years, four years, $85 million. Um, But yeah, I I do think that Lonzo Ball's contract, uh, it's widely considered to be one of the best value contracts this offseason. I mean, it wasn't a gross overpay. 
I mean, considering that Lonzo Ball is signed to Clutch Sports, it's pretty surprising that he basically got not much more than market value. Though you could, one can argue that uh, at this point in his career, Lonzo is still just a high-level role player um, because of his inability to still penetrate and drive and create offense from that position, as well as the fact that Lonzo Ball isn't necessarily a very good half-court creator just yet. Although he can play obviously very well in transition and push the ball and be a very good complement, especially defensively, to Zach Levine. Um, DeMar DeRozan, he's a very good floor raiser for the Bulls. You know, his past three years with the Spurs, he didn't do necessarily anything eye-popping per se, but his mid-range game and his underrated playmaking was pretty good at keeping that Spurs team afloat and not making them look like one of the worst teams in the league, which Frankly, they were trying to go for it because at that point, the Spurs were basically just tanking um, the past two seasons. And um, Caruso was pretty good value as well. Um, I mean, he obviously provides good defense from the bench spot. um, And it wasn't a very bad contract. And he definitely adds a championship pedigree and just another role player that can help Chicago off the bench. Um, but in the long run, I don't really know about these moves. I think that they definitely traded like some long-term uh, assets for some short-term gain. Uh, I don't really see these moves being too good after the first year. I think they will probably make at least a play-in game or like be a low playoff seed this upcoming season. But I don't know about, you know, 2023-2024. Did you say Caruso brings championship caliber experience? I mean, he was your <laughs> fourth or fifth best player. In the, in the Lakers. Okay. All right. Uh, Dylan, any thoughts? Um, I think for me, uh, I think the Bulls, like what they have from the, after the trades, I think they have a, for me, they have a pretty good lineup. I mean, uh, you have, I think what we talked about a few days ago, right? Um, you have, I guess, you, theoretically, the starting lineup, you have like Zach, you have Zach, you have Alonzo uh, and um, DeMar, right? As well as like, I don't know who's their power forward, but I think everyone forgot. You, they also have Vucevic, I think. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. I think I that's think, correct. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of like underrate him. So I think like um, the Bulls, I think they're starting, they're starting five is great. I think they're, I think they might even go past the play in, like I would say like six. And they also have Crusoe coming up. Crusoe can come off the bench. So I think that's pretty nice. Then on the other hand, uh, with the Miami Heat, uh, I think what surprised me was PJ Tucker going to the Heat. I thought he would stay. I know it's a little bit off topic. I thought he would stay off, stay with the Bucks. Yeah, and I thought so help, too. And help uh, Giannis run it back for a second chip. But um, I think having Lowry as well, getting Lowry going to the Heat, I think it'll help supplement uh, Jimmy Butler and also Tyler. Yeah, I mean, I think that with the Bulls and the the Heat, Vivek, you bring up a good point. Like, I think both of these are, like, win-now kind of moves. You kind of maybe would think that Chicago would slow play it a bit because the East has got the Bucks and the Nets right there. But, you know, they've got a top-tier talent in Zach Levine, and they don't know how long, you know, he's going to stay with the team. He might just demand a trade if they weren't going to improve the roster around him. He's the only one that hasn't signed as well. He's the only one without the long-term contract now on that team. Yeah, exactly. And they made the win-now move in the first place because at the trade deadline, they they traded for Nikola Vucevic, which people were questioning, like, 
why would you do that? Because they still didn't make the playoffs. They didn't even make the play-in. But obviously, they were kind of just continuing the build, continuing the build. And I think the best part about this, if you're a Bulls fan, is that, first of all, somehow you're a place of, you know, attraction. You're an attractive place again because Lonzo signed a few. DeMar DeRozan was the surprising one. Um, He signed, even though he is from Compton, he could have signed with either of the Lakers and the Clippers. He had a meeting with the Clippers that he then turned down and then he just immediately signed and traded with, with the Bulls. So it's crazy that how after, what, 30 years of irrelevance now, I, I guess we can call D-Rose. They made him relevant again. But it's pretty amazing how they were able to rebuild kind of the attractiveness of the team. And shout out to, I'm going to try to pronounce his name, Arturus Karnasovas. He is the new vice executive vice president of basketball operations. He's made this place into a lot better already. And I think that the Bulls are definitely more win now than they were before. And I think I agree with Dylan. I think he, they're going to be like a six seed. With the Heat, I think they are trying to prove that they are still contenders, I guess. Kyle Lowry is a good signing to me, and it matches up well with Jimmy Butler's timeline. P.J. Tucker, again, it's, it's a lot older, though. I think the Bulls can win for the next five years. I don't see the Heat winning for the next two or three years after this. I think also I think it's over, yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, um, sorry to butt in, but like Kyle Lowry, he's almost at the end of his career, I believe. He's like around 36. Like yeah, but these, you know, too. he could still play though. We're not going to disrespect Kyle Lowry, you know. He's not the great, he's not the oldest player, but you know, he still has a lot of game left to him. He's 35. Oh, I thought he was 36. Yeah, I mean, close enough. Yeah, I mean. I feel like my opinion on the, the, the Bulls and the Heat, I, I obviously feel like the Bulls made more, obviously had the bigger signings and the more signings. I don't realistically know how much of a better team they got. Like you guys are saying, get up to 6-7, but, you know, we don't really trade for uh, two first-round picks for Vucevic. You don't give $80 million to, you know, Lonzo Ball if you're trying to, you know, do all that. You're trying to win now. So if you're talking about win now, the better team is Miami Heat still. And I think it's still a significant, I would say, gap between the Bulls and the rest of the teams in the East that are really competing for championships, you know? If you're talking Nets, Bucks, and then maybe the Heat in there, and maybe the 76ers, I would still put those set of teams, you know, ahead of the team like the Bulls. I just feel like, the you know, the Miami Heat, in, for instance, signing Lowry and having the ability to have a veteran like that uh, that can run the point and can really facilitate and take some of the work off of uh, Jimmy Butler, which there was not happening last year. And even the year that they made the finals, it was very rare or inconsistent help that he got from Tyler Hero. He was getting help, but not as much as he really needed. But, you know, Lowry really solidifies that point guard position for them. And, you know, another dog in P.J. Tucker goes right into Miami system, works perfect there you know, really assist Bam on defensively as well. And I think it's a very underrating signing because there weren't big names. They weren't like, you know, eye-popping dunkers and stuff like that. You know, Alonzo's been like one of the bigger names for, you know, for what he can, you know, for instance, he came out of high school and Caruso's a god, but, you know, P.J. Tucker and Kyle Lowry, they're going to do their thing. And, you know, Miami Heat will be a very a strong and 
defensive oriented team like they were two years ago. And if anything, I do feel like this paper, this roster on paper is much better than the team two years ago, even though they did lose none. I think Lowry definitely makes up for anything that none did for their team. Yeah. Josh again, none. Um, are both gone. Kyle Lowry probably will be much better. Better than both, yeah. Yeah, and they also signed Markeith Morris. I, I forgot to mention that as well. I think they're a very defensive team. It's a little bit concerning where the points are going to come from. They're going to have to rely on Robinson and Hero for that as well. They need that outside shooting. Because yeah, they, they went really off, have right? no shooting besides Robinson and maybe Hero yeah. with this team. Kyle Lowry is a good shooter. Kyle Lowry can shoot. He can like, shoot, but he's not reliable, or you don't want to really have him play like that because you want him to help initiate the offense. PJ Tucker too. can shoot. He's a good yeah. catch and shoot. He's not the greatest. He's not the corner. Like, yeah, the one, the corner. He's, the one corner. Corner. <laughs> he's not going to be okay, scoring okay. that many points for you in the game. Okay, but he can though. shoot. He, he, if you give him yeah, three, he'll hit. Ask the Bucks. Ask the Bucks. They, they gave him a bunch of random ass threes. He didn't all of them. He was more like, he was more like guard Kevin Durant, guard. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, and that's crazy that he could yeah. still hit a, a wide open corner yeah. three. You know, I'm not gonna disrespect PJ Tucker. I like PJ Tucker, but yeah, I think the Heat like they got to the finals that year because of just incredible shooting by Duncan Robinson and uh, Tyler Hero. Really, that was and a really yeah. big part of it too. Okay. Yeah, even then, um, if you're coming comparison, do you guys think they're closer to the Bulls than I'm saying so? I don't. No, not at I all. Mean, the the Bulls are com- on on a much more bottom tier than the Heat are. It's just because they're more like undeveloped, I'd say. Like you Yeah, and but the thing with the not, Bulls not as, right, yeah, is yeah, that if you ahead. look at the Bulls peak, right? The, I mean the Bulls best player is Zach Levine. Zach Levine is not in my mind the top 20, 25 player. Mm-hmm. Butler is a top 15 player. And you have Kyle Lowry, who's probably like top 30, top 35 at, at minimum. And I I think that, you know, just the roster, the the top of the roster for the Heat are just much better than the top of the roster for the Bulls, which is just really the Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, right? Like DeMar DeRozan's a pretty old player at this point, and his contract is widely, like I said before, considered to be one of the worst contracts of the offseason, just in terms of how much you're giving for someone who's already this old. DeMar's like 30, right? Um, I think he's older than that. But even then, like he's his 32. game, yeah. he's 32. And even then, like his game isn't necessarily needle moving in the sense that adding him will necessarily make you a playoff contender or push you towards a championship. I do think that he trends you towards playoff basketball, right? But that's the kind of tier the Heat have been in for a long time, right? They've already made the finals just like two years ago. So the Heat are definitely still in that mix for the finals. I do think though that um, that Butler contract extension uh, four years for 184 million. That's gonna definitely bite them in the future. Oh yeah. In Kyle Lowry, they gave him what three years, 90 million. You know, a couple years on the line, that's not gonna look too good as well. And sure, you've signed Duncan Robinson and Bam Adebayo to the uh to oh, those Victor Oladipo. And uh, yeah, they got Old Depot too for the minimum, what? I believe. <laughs> yeah. He's still but, there. Oh, he's still God. there because he was hunting for contract extensions and. He didn't take them, so nice. yeah, he can't really get a contract with the torn quad. But yeah, I guess it's safe. You know, it could be Dennis Shooter. Mm-hmm. It could be worse. 
but yeah, I, I do think that the Heat really just went all in on this because this is pretty much their last viable push that they have with your, with this core as it stands, you know. Butler isn't getting any younger. Lowry isn't getting any younger. You want to lock in up your best shooter in Robinson, a top five three-point shooter in the league. And this is it's pretty good value, you know, five years, 70 million. I'd say for, you know, a top tier shooter, that's kind of what you're kind of in line to pay for, play for. I mean, overall, the Heat are just a much better team and they're much more suited for playoff basketball than are the Bulls at this point or really any point in the next two or three years, unless, you know, Levine makes a huge leap, Lance makes a huge leap. But those look more like like long shots right now compared to what the I Bulls. I think Lonzo's. I think Lonzo's definitely taking a step up, you know, because of the just the opportunity. He wasn't getting any opportunity in, in New Orleans, you know. Right, and, right. He'll, and he'll... He, he was getting shut out by his own coach who wanted to run the offense through Zion, even though Lonzo's a true point guard. You know, he's been working on his jump shot and he plays great defense. But at the end of the day, Lonzo's best ability is ability to pass the ball, and that's why LeBron loved playing with Lonzo. And you know. They didn't even let him run the offense last year. You know, they wanted to run through Zion. So I think Chicago, they have that going for them, you know. But at the end of the day, like you were, you were saying, you know, like in the playoffs, you know, I don't know where we need from Lonzo. But he will, I definitely think, take a big step up from what, he, what we saw him from last year. I think it depends on whether or not he is able to improve his driving and his half-court playmaking. Those have kind of been the two knocks. I mean, shooting was the big knock and big credits to him for improving his three-point shot to the point where, you know, everyone pretty much considers him to be a knockdown three-point shooter or someone to definitely respect beyond the arc. But, I mean, as of right now, I would definitely take the Heat over the Bulls in a playoff match. And the Heat are definitely one of the best teams in the East. And they are definitely in position to contend. I mean, obviously, will they beat the Nets? I don't really know. I don't really think so. But they do match up decently better now because you can throw Lowry, who's a pretty good uh, defender at the position, mind you, against uh, Kyrie. And so, you know, you have Butler back. You have Robinson. And hopefully, Hero takes that step up to, uh, you know, score again from threes. And then you got P.J. Tucker, too. Yeah, the, the KD stopper, P.J. Tucker. Yeah, the KD stopper. All right. You mean KD? Uh, <laughs> KD shoes are the real stopper. Yeah. Not not PJ man. Hey, who do you think gave him those shoes? Oh. Oh, that's true. true. That's true. The sneaker king. <laughs> exactly. We also get the amazing tandem that we'll be hearing for the next like four or five years: the Balzac tandem, the Balzac tandem. <laughs> Okay, let's go on the flip side here and talk about the off-seasons from hell. The Philadelphia 76ers and the Portland Trailblazers have not had the best off-seasons, and they've been um, just swamped in kind of turmoil and drama. The 76ers, in all the off-season moves that they made, they signed the big old man from Los Angeles, Kareem Abdul-Dramond. Um, Andre Drummond decided to replace Dwight Howard at Philadelphia. They could have just traded, honestly, Drummond for Howard, and it's basically the same thing. And Daryl Morey's been calling every single GM, asking for four first-round picks and a couple superstars for Ben Simmons to no avail. Meanwhile, in the Portland Trailblazers, they re-signed Norman Powell, but they also signed Ben McLemore and Tony Snell, and Damian Lillard was reportedly trying to recruit Kelly Oubre to the Trailblazers and even Kelly Oubre didn't want to go there. He decided to sign with the Charlotte Hornets. Both teams have impending trades on the horizon and kind of 
Damien championship windows right now because of it. Who do you think had the worst offseason to kind of just shut those championship window, like completely shut? I think I'm going to say the 76ers. Um, I personally don't think that the Trailblazers are in a better position by saying that the 76ers had the worst offseason. I would still say the 76ers have better championship odds than the, the Trailblazers do. But I definitely feel like the 76ers took so many steps backwards this offseason from, you know, I just I just don't know what they're doing right now. I'd agree in the sense that with the 76ers, they're more championship contenders than the Portland Trailblazers. They got Embiid, they got Tobias Harris, they got Ben Simmons. But at the same time, um, and, you know, the Trailblazers basically just have Dame. The thing is, when you have a higher window, when you have more potential for your team to be a championship contender, the moves you make in the offseason, and if you, rather the moves you don't make in the offseason, means that it's a much more disappointing offseason. And the thing is, I think they need Ben Simmons to leave, and they need him to have a fresh new start. They need him to get out of Philadelphia for good because the fit is just not there anymore. He should not be able, he should not be playing point guard with them. And the thing is, Maury is asking for these. He's trying to like, he's trying to trade rape someone, right? He's trying to get Harden value for Ben Simmons. Exactly. And one's an MVP, a former MVP. The other is Ben Simmons. So it's ridiculous. And he needs to take what he can get in order to make the roster better, in order for them to actually contend with the Nets, contend with the Bucks, contend with the Lakers if they should ever make it out of the Eastern Conference Finals. So. They need to just do something at this point because running it back, even though they never run it back in Philadelphia, they always have some kind of new um, shit over there because they the trust the process. The process has been going on for years now to no avail. It is just ridiculous that they have this championship window and kind of the inaction they're doing is shutting it year after year. Yeah, I agree too with uh, with what you just said because I think uh, to your question that you talked about earlier between the 76ers and the Port and the Trailblazers, right? I I mean I I agree with you guys both, uh, Matt and G, that um, 76ers are having a, a tougher off season because the reason why I say that because Portland like the past few years like they didn't really improve or like they're just like staying afloat. But you look at the 76ers, right? You have so much potential. I mean, this past season, you had, um, like, before all the um, stuff with Ben Simmons, you had him and Joel, Joel Embiid leading the team, right? And you have, like, for example, Seth Curry coming off the bench, which he did very well coming – he did very well this season. But I think what kind of makes me very disappointed is, like, the, the untapped potential the 76ers have. And that's – and most of that's coming from Ben Simmons because um, they, the 76ers could have taken a step forward if he could, if he was able to improve his jump shot, which like the past few years, like he didn't really do much, which I find that really disappointing. And now we're at a point where like he's too, he's afraid to dunk on like a six three guard during the playoffs, which I've found really I was I was pissed off for Joel Embiid and what's even more depressing is Joel Embiid ever since he got drafted he always each season he always tries his best to improve 
in any part of his game. Like for example, his like his jump, his jump shots or his shooting ability. He didn't have that in the beginning, but now like he's able to hit three pointers out in the from that from three point land. So I think I'm just overall disappointed with uh, the 76ers with like how much potential they have. And right now with not being able to ship Ben Simmons and not getting anything back, which the longer they wait, I feel like the, the more exactly. they ruin his value, right? It just yeah. doesn't make sense why you wouldn't, you know, you already decreased it so much. You actually talked him down. You hated on your own coach, hated on him. You know, Joel Embiid doesn't know about him. You know, I asked him a question. He's like, I don't know about Ben Simmons. You know, you're going to say all this, and then you're going to bring him back. You know, your fans hate him. Like, yeah. Philadelphia is one of the worst <laughs> four cities to build up players. They did the same thing to Markel Fultz, you know. They don't give opportunities to the best players. They expect so much from their players, you know, and then, you know, they booth their own team at home. Joel Embiid loves it, and that works for him, but it doesn't work for Ben Simmons. It didn't work for Malcarrow Fultz. Players don't want to get booed by their home crowd and be hated on by their home fans, you know. Philadelphia, as a supporting Ben Simmons, hasn't done anything. They've ruined his stock, you know. He, he is more of a laughing stock now, and, you know, they're asking for four first-round picks and two players. Like, that's just beyond me i think daryl morris like needs to be tested or something for <laughs> everything on this planet. i agree he so to- i heard it guys about I, I do agree that the sixers have had a pretty disastrous optics perspective change and shift especially since their disastrous loss to the hawks uh especially regarding their perception on ben simmons and how he is as a player now his stock is obviously at an all-time low and will continue to be so but i think if you actually look at the history Throughout 20, since 2013, really, I I can see really no clear answer for who had the worst offseason but the Blazers. Let's go back to the past couple of years, right? Let's look, go back to 2016 and that disastrous offseason for them when Neil O'Shea signed Evan Turner for Alan Crabb, um, I believe Mo Harkless, and uh, Myers Leonard for exorbitant contracts. And that basically completely killed the cap space of the Blazers. The reason why the Blazers are basically hard stuck is that they're basically all of their money are committed to players and they don't really have any mobility and um, at any ability to look any liquid assets really to trade for players to basically make any moves because too much money is already committed to the books and it's already dead. And, They've kind of run their course, right? You saw this last offseason or postseason, they lost to a shorthanded Nuggets team where the starting backcourt was Composo and Austin Rivers. And Dame said it himself. He he said that he thought that the it, the Nuggets should have probably lost its series to the Blazers. I mean, the Blazers basically had everyone healthy. Granted, sure, Nurkic is very injury prone and was not really in, and it was kind of in and out the season. But still, there was really no excuse for Dame and the Blazers to basically lose. And honestly, Dame was kind of hard carrying that team and was the only reason why the series went to six games even. But they still were managed to lose. The, season, the postseason before that, they lost in five to the Lakers. The one time that they were able, the Blazers were able to go to the conference finals was in the 2019 postseason, and they got swept by the Warriors, who started Alfonso McKinney and Jordan Bell. I mean, yes, if you look at this, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that too. And then the offseason, postseason before that, they got completely embarrassed in a first-round sweep by the Pelicans with AD 
and Drew Holiday and Rondo. And so if you basically look at their history ever since 2016 and that 2016 offseason, they first got swept by the Warriors in the first round. Then they basically lost to the Pelicans in their first round again. Then they got swept by the Warriors again in 2018 in the conference finals. And then they had, in the past two years, two first-round losses to the Lakers and the Nuggets, respectively. The Lakers won, sure. I mean, the Lakers won it that year. We can find, we can say, oh, okay, that's, that's that's totally acceptable. But then, but then even then, you got to consider that Bain was the only player that really showed up in the bubble as well. And then with the Nuggets as well, same story there, right? Dame was the only player that showed up. They still lost to Jokic, and base when they didn't have Murray even in that series, they still lost to the Nuggets without Murray, and that's pretty embarrassing to me. So if you basically look at it for me, sure you can argue that okay. The Blazers, they didn't really have the roster to do it. But still, I mean, if you look at it, they completely wasted Dame's postseason heroics and they weren't able to make anything materialize off of that. You can sure, sure you can blame it because of the Warriors. I mean, they lost the Warriors three times in the past six years. And um, I mean, Warriors were a completely different beast than the Blazers. We all know that. We all adore that too. At least I do. But love still, it. I do. I love it. I, 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 I can't get enough of it. I mean, people co- try to compare Dame to stuff, but as great as Dame is, you know, already know that stuff is in a different tier. But exactly. still, right? The Blazers have basically run their course. Everyone just running it back to basically end up where they always have been in the past. They've ended up with positive records. They've ended up, you know, doing pretty good throughout the regular season, making it to the postseason. And then they kind of lose unceremoniously, right? So it's basically Sisyphus at this point. You roll the boulder up the hill, and then it just comes rolling down, only for you to do it again. So what do you do at that point, right? At least with the Sixers, you have you can run it back with your MVP runner-up, MVP candidate year in and year out, Joel Embiid. And Tobias Harris is actually kind of starting to play up a little bit more to his contract, Here, even though he still was over. Give me out though. Let me let me, yeah. let me let me let me let me let me explain to you something. I feel like sure. I feel like for the exact same reasons you said the Trailblazers were decreasing as a team, right? And they have no cash from cap room. They haven't been able to wiggle out of those shit contracts they gave out. And uh, they for all those things that you named, right? The, how could they have a good offseason? You know what I mean? Like they have no room to change. No one wants those contracts, right? Like CJ McCollum doesn't have the great highest trade value and all the other players have even less trade value. And my thing is though, for the 76ers, they make trades year after year, year after year, they destroy the roster and bring it back up They destroy the roster and bring in new stars, right? Yep. They two years ago when they brought in Tobias and Al Horford or whatever, maybe three years <laughs> Jimmy ago, but- Jimmy Butler, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler, Butler the year before. They could, yep. Yeah. They kept trying, right? They never ever said that our, right, we're just going to unpack it and sign Andre fucking drumming and calling off season. I think, right. You know, that's my thing. But, so but here's the, the thing, thing, right? They were still able to get off of Horford's contract and Josh Anderson's contract, considering what they were considered to be in Capo right. when they resent Tobias here to those huge contracts after oh. their loss to the Raptors. They're still able to basically be a competitive right. team in the East, but the Blazers just aren't. Yeah, I, think, this is, I think also you got to think about it like, this is the one year of any of the years which would, anybody would not question if you flip the roster in Philadelphia upside down, right? If any of those last three years, you would say this year is the most needed to be changed this roster. It is not working because every other year you change it and you need to like, again, change it. This is in the year that they should have gone all out. Instead, they did almost nothing. 
which is my my point is like what you're saying is the Trailblazers have never ever brought any help for Dame, right? They weren't you can't if they never did it before and they don't have the cap room in the years past, they're not gonna have it this year, right? And no one wants to go to Portland. Kelly right. Uber didn't even want to go to Portland, right? Like you said, right? But yep. Philadelphia is different, right? They've been able to get stars, they've been able to trade players, they have contracts they need to move, Ben Simmons, right? But they're the right. ones that fucked themselves by asking for four first round picks. Like he's not worth that. You need to get him out of there for two, maybe. And someone's willing to give you two. Or if you can get three decent players or like a CJ McCollum and a bunch of other decent players, you go get them, right? You don't because you've made sure. those type of moves before in those last sure. seasons. And your team right now and what it needs the most is for one of those moves to happen again. And that's why I said the offseason was worse because every other offseason, they've made those moves. And this year, they completely decided not to make any moves and just come back with the same shitty-ass roster. So that's what I'm saying. The Trailblazer has been doing that. So for them to for us to judge them as a bad offseason is just kind of like unrealistic for us because we they've never done shit. So how can you expect them in 2021 to just flip the switch and start trying to like make this like super team, right? For where the for last four years, all the 76ers have done is try to flip the process, right? Trust the process. We're making moves. It's all about the process. So when about what about this year? The process is done now. It was sure this is all the process was meant to be. That's why I say like. You know, this is the year where Daryl Morey and 76ers, who have been trigger happy, should have been even more trigger happy. They should have got Ben Simmons out for whatever they could. Like, we're not saying his value is going any higher. So then why wouldn't you trade him now while he so, still has some value? I, I see your point about why the 76ers offseason is considerably, like, pretty bad as it is right now. Mostly concerning the fact that Simmons is at an all-time low in trade value. But where my point comes from specifically is that if you look to the future, the real reason why the Blazers were even in the conversation to begin with of playoff basketball begins and really ends with Damian Lillard. Now considering basically the fact that nothing has happened, and even though the, the Blazers are kind of hard stuck, they've still shown a pretty big reluctance in order to make any moves. Neil O'Shea hasn't shown any willingness to trade McCollum. Um, rumor has it is it's because that Neil O'Shea drafted CJ McCollum himself and is particularly fond of him as a player. And, you know, that type of, you know, squirminish and skirmishness not, not showing really has really showing hesitation to make a move. That's kind of what's killing the Blazers right now and what's going to kill them for a long time. Because let's face it, Embiid is an MVP candidate right now. And as long as you have Embiid, you're still going to have a very strong floor as the 76ers, no matter how bad Ben's in place. But when you consider the Blazers, right, if Dame, which is looking pretty likely at this point, if Dame is just completely unsatisfied with this relationship with the Blazers to the point where it goes beyond repair, then where are the Blazers really left with? You know, they traded a lot of their assets away. Um, they aren't making any real contract moves and trading any of their established players. The only move that makes sense for them is to trade Dame for the reasons you think. I think they should let Dame. Dame go. Oh, yeah. They, they should I, let Dame go. And that, exactly, that's why it would be a worse offseason for the Blazers because they're going to completely have to rebuild because with Embiid, you do have an established baseline. When yeah, Dame but you're goes, wasting, which what the, what the Trailblazers did with two, three years ago with Dame is what the Blazers are, or what the 76ers are doing now with Embiid. When he is at his peak and his MVP, 
you need to make the moves that need to be made, right? What you just said about them not willing to move off CJ McCollum is the same thing with the 76ers. Right now is the time to move off Ben Simmons. You don't want to move on Ben Simmons two, three years down the line and then beads two, three years more deteriorated with his already shit body the way it is, you know? That's my point. I mean, it's like you want to be proactive rather than reactive. You already waited so long for 76 or for the Trailblazers. The only decision that the Trailblazers need to do is when they're going to trade Dame, right? I think, they, I think the thing is with it's basically an opposite offseason, right? The Sixers have been making moves for years to try to make this a championship caliber team. And now this is the time they just don't do it. And that's why it's a bad offseason for them. With the Trailblazers, they have never made a move. And this is the time that they should be making a move, but they didn't do that. So it's like they're literally doing the opposite kind of like of what they've been doing, right? So it's just like, I agree. I think that Dame has since the Blazers championship window is what I believe is basically over. They, um, they should just be trading Dame and that's, that's it. That's what they're done with. And because there's no saving kind of that team at this point. Yeah, I feel, I agree with you, but I feel like they're saving the Sixers and that's all I have to say of that. Yeah. I think there is the saving to be done, but needs to be done, you know? Yeah. I think the Sixers need to take a lesson basically from Portland see what they've done in the last five years right. and realize that's basically what their future is going to be like if they don't move off of Ben Simmons. Yeah, and one last note. I, I definitely agree that the Sixers two, three years on the line are likely to end up in a similar spot to where the Blazers are right now. But also consider the fact that Maury's been one of the most active GMs in the past five or six years, and he's always wheeling and dealing and trying to trade for players but with Neil Oshie, right, he has shown a very uh, wavered approach and has been very reluctant, as Matt said, to make any trades, any realistic moves to move the needle for them. And neither their fucking is here. You know, Damus basically come out and said that although he does want to win a championship in Portland by all means, he just doesn't feel that any of the moves, quote unquote, their moves this season happen to basically, you know, higher, uh, higher Chauncey billups get Ben McLemore, uh, basically trade away and um, what was it? They traded away Cantor and they got rid of Carmelo. And that's really what their offseason has been. And, you know, their day of reckoning is here. This is the moment where the Blazers are, like you said, Matt, they're probably no longer going to be in that championship window and Dame's going to leave, which makes them, in my mind, you know, the loser of this postseason. Now let's move on to a Bay Area team. We got to represent the Warriors. So with the Warriors, they signed Otto Porter and Nemanja Bialica to um, vet minimum deals. They also were able to sign Andre Iguodala, uh, the return of Andre, and he's coming back again on a one-year deal vet minimum. They were able to re-sign Stephen Curry, extend him for four more years, basically cementing him with the Warriors for life, at least until age 38. He's welcome to sign for some more after that, but that's good. He's going to be a warrior for at least five more years. And they also drafted, used those draft picks. They drafted uh, Jonathan Kuminga and Moses Moody with the seventh and 14th picks overall. And in terms of departures, Kent Bazemore, who we forgot to mention, went to the Lakers. Not much worth mentioning, actually. And Kelly Oubre signed with the Charlotte Hornets. Good. <laughs> I mean, with all things considered, do we believe that the Warriors did enough this offseason to contend? Is that really 
what this offseason do you consider the success in your mind and they'll be able to get back to kind of championship contention or is that not the angle that they were taking i wouldn't say they look contend i mean they're still have a pretty young and developing roster like with the two draft picks and like what we have left over from last Mm -hmm. season um i mean it's great we're getting all poor and I forgot how to pronounce his name, Jelica. Nemanja Bielitsa. Bielitsa, sorry. All Excuse the Bielitsa fans are going to be mad at you now. Oh, <laughs> a lot of people are already mad at me anyway. Um, uh, but it's just, I think they'll probably be in the middle of the pack. I mean, you, I mean, you have your sons, your, Lake, your Lakers, the Jazz. <laughs> the Jazz, they'll probably be like third. But I think it all depends on if how is how well is Clay's return going to be? Because, I mean, he's been – he got two torn – I believe two torn ACLs, right? It's an ACL and an Achilles. An ACL and Achilles. So that's kind of – that's pretty major. So I think for me, the question is, well, how how is Clay's return going to be? Because usually when you have those type of injuries, it's not going to be – it usually makes the player, like, not be, like, their former selves or not – they're like 100%. So that's what concerns me looking at the Golden State Warriors roster. I, w- I agree with you. So I think I just have them a bit higher than you. You say they're maybe a tier below or, or the bottom end of the tier. I would, say, I would like, say, oh, I was supposed to say like around five to six. Right. I mean, I think I have them around the same place, but I think a five and the six could easily win the championship in the West. You know, I'm not saying the champ warriors are favorites or I have them winning. I think they're, I give them good of a chance. I'd give the nuggets. I mean, other than the Lakers, I, like I said, they're heavy favorites. I would say they're favorites to come out the West. I, I would put the, the warriors, you know, tied for second, basically behind with, with the nuggets and um, the, the Clippers, the Suns. You know, all those teams are right there with each other. I couldn't – if the Warriors told me the Warriors ended the, se- the season as the second seed or the end of the season as the first seed, I wouldn't be too surprised. I you know, Honestly, I think Clay will be fine. It might take a, a while for the whole team to get its rhythm. But, you know, like Warriors team, they will figure it out. I mean, Steve Kerr is a great coach. And, you know, they figure out things like this. You know, like, because Steph and Clay – they haven't been on the same court in two years. Achilles and an ACL, that's almost the two worst injuries you can have in sports player, right? So, you know, it's, it was very unfortunate for Clay Thompson. And, you know, I do think that Steven, regardless of having two very unfortunate injuries, he's going to come back and be a beast, you know? And there's no other way to put it. Like, he hasn't played in two years. You know, we haven't watched him play. We want to watch him play. Imagine what he feels. He wants to go out there and go crazy, you know, this year. And I feel like he's he's talked about it, and he's really, like, wants it. And I feel like that's something the Warriors haven't had in a while is a, is a real want as a team, you know. They have, they have a want to actually prove people wrong, I feel like. Previously, you know, you know, they were winning. It was easy. Everybody was healthy, and they kept winning. You know, they even at that at a certain point signed Katie and got better. You know, life was good. You know, I'm not saying it is now when you're making $200 million contracts, <laughs> but it, it, they still want to win. You know, it's your job to play basketball, and it wouldn't be this far if they didn't have that want. And I think that just the fire inside the team has burned a little bit. And, you know, I just want to throw this out there that on the 25th episode, you know, like our prediction will be that Jordan Poole will be sixth man of the year. 
that's a crazy wild statement. That's a heavy statement. I think he's great, and I think he's learning from Steph really, really well. I feel like he's really like basically Steph off the bench. Obviously, I'm not saying he can shoot as well and you know runs the offense as well, but he he's mini Steph. Well, I have to. I'm contractually obligated to hate Jordan Poole, but that's not a bad prediction. Um, I mean, I think the Warriors right now with the moves that they made and the moves they made last year, they're trying to marry the past and the present. Um, the present and the future, more likely, because they got Seth, Clay, Dre. That's a championship court. But they have Wiseman, and now they just drafted Kuminga and Moody. So that's kind of your three for next for the next future. And they already signed them, so they can't trade them for at least a month. That doesn't mean they won't trade them but it makes it a little bit more unlikely. And it seems like this general consensus from the front office is that they're not going to trade them at this time, unless it's for a superstar. Um, it's going to be, I don't know if the moves make them contenders, right? You have to have when, even when the Warriors are at their peak, when they had prime Steph, they had prime clay, they had prime Dre, they had the bench basically, or KD. And none of those are there right now. You got a couple good guys like, Bielitsa, he's going to be a stretch big. And Otto Porter, he's going to be uh, fine as as long as he stays healthy. He's going to be a good forward. He can play a little bit of guard maybe when Clay's out. But right now, I don't see this as a championship contender. And I've always been kind of more hesitant when I'm projecting my own teams. And Iguodala returning is great and all, but I he's 38, man. I don't think he's got a lot to give. He doesn't have a lot to guys. give physically, but I definitely think he brings a great presence to the team. And He's going to help develop those guys, like mentally. Like Kuminga, yeah. yeah, I think Kuminga very much benefits the most from Iguodala because he has a very similar similar play style to him. And, you know, he he has an, atti- like an attitude and a way of playing the game, which is similar to Iguodala, and it'll help him fill that role. And I think that's really why they brought him back. You know, I don't think they were going to rely on Iguodala for minutes, but – his, his ability he might to have to. to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't think their bench is as bad as you're making it seem, though. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Poole, I like. I like JTA, too. And um, Looney's always great. He's always great. Mm-hmm. They might even make him a starter and then Wiseman off the bench. So, like, I think that's seriously fine. But I just don't see them as a serious contender because it relies on a lot of things. It relies on, you know, Steph basically going nuclear again. It relies on Clay being able to come back from not one but two devastating injuries. And it relies on kind of Wiseman developing a little bit more. And it relies on the young guys being able to kind of be thrown into the fire early and be able to kind of just make some plays off the bench. Jordan Poole has to keep on getting better. He can't just be a one-hit wonder. So I, I agree with Dylan. They'd probably be in that 5-6 range. I'd probably go like Lakers, Clippers, Suns, Jazz, and then maybe the Nuggets area. But a lot of things have to go right. That's what I'm saying. Just for them to be contenders. But I love that they're building for the future. So I think that it's perfectly fine to do so. And Are there any players that you still want them that or you might think they're actually available that you might want them to trade for still? I know we discussed uh, like uh, Beal and Dame, but they don't, pass, don't seem like they're going to be traded. So maybe any lower level players that you as a Warrior fan would like to see them make them, make them contenders again? Um, Maybe Siakam. Yeah, I was gonna say Siakam too. You, I mean, he's not like Damian Lovell, but he's he's a pretty decent signing if we if we were able to get him. How much do you guys think you'd have to give up for a Siakam level? We probably have to give up Wiseman, Wiggins, and Kuminga. I want to say at the very least, and that is steep. You'd probably That's play Siakam at the three. 
Yeah. yeah. And that's just, I don't see that happening. I think the Warriors are married to the idea of kind of doing both at the same time. They hired all these random ass developmental coaches just for that. So it's, I, I don't think that's. Kenny a, Atkinson's not random, man. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. Give, but like, give my boy some props. He did yeah, a good okay. job with the Nets. We, we, but we see the yeah, angle. Maybe that should they're sign Jared Dudley yeah. too. Oh, yeah. And bring back that whole Nets team. Yeah, glue guy. <laughs> Why didn't we sign Dinwiddie? I don't get it. Oh, man. I feel bad for Dinwiddie. <laughs> got, a, got a contract. Got a, went to the Wizards. Got a good contract with the Wizards. You know, he's having to pay starter money. Did you see the bonus he gets if he wins the championship? He gets one dollar. <laughs> not one cent more, like not signing, one cent less. I feel like signing Dinwiddie you kind of solidifies that Beal's not going anywhere, right? Maybe. I mean, Dinwiddie and Beal is that's that the deadly. move? Like that's deadly. Really? Bro. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty solid backcourt, you know. Dinwiddie off an ACL tear. Okay, and we were just talking about Clay, so. I know. Yeah, I mean him and the Achilles. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think they will they will take a while to figure it out, and if they can peak at the right time, which is always the most important about the important part about winning championships, like the Suns peaked at the end of the season for the most part. That's when they played their best basketball and then led right into the playoffs. So if the Warriors can you know spend the first chunk of the season and most I say more than a chunk, even majority of the season, trying to develop the players, and if it doesn't really, if you really know it's developing, it's not working out. Then you know there's always going to be a, you know a star trying to be traded, so maybe they can uh, get in on that. They at least have the assets, and that's good. That KD trade, sign and trade, turned out to be huge because it netted D'Angelo Russo, which netted Andrew Wiggins and a first round pick, which ended up to be Jonathan Kuminga. So KD could have left for nothing. Instead, they got Wiggins and they got Kuminga, which they could trade for another prospect or um, a star. Okay, and oh, yeah, I'm yeah. also glad they got got rid of Smiley. I'm, I'm pretty oh, happy yeah. about it. Yeah. I'm so I'm, happy about I think it. the Alan biggest Smiley. one is getting rid of Alan Smiley each. Yes, that that was just an error on the court. We were all used to playing Santa Cruz, huh? Yeah, I watched him play. He was a beast, bro. He was a beast. In the you watched him? Yeah. No, he sucked. No, I went to man. I went to a Santa Cruz game. He was ass. Really, the one I went to, he was playing pretty decent. I'm pretty sure he was the leading scorer that night. Nah, dude, he oh, had high hopes for him. Not only was he terrible that game, he fouled the game-winning three-point. Like the Kings, <laughs> the Kings, Kyle guy, I think, and then Smiley fouled him. So then he just made three shots, three free throws, and it was it. That's it. Wow. Goddamn. And also, we've heard some unsavory things. He's not a not the greatest guy. Apparently, that's really? some UC Santa Cruz knowledge for you. Apparently, uh, Smiley Gucci inked a three-year contract with the team in Serbia, so he's not going to be in the NBA anymore. Damn. Yeah. All I right. Don't think, I don't <laughs> think anybody's going to be too impressed about Smalljic. <laughs> I'm glad I, I couldn't pronounce him for a very long time. Hey, he became a well-known spring, name. Really, spring cleaning. Oh yeah. Or late spring cleaning. Yeah. I'm surprised he lasted so long. Oh, okay. Really? You're a hater. I really do think you're a warrior hater. Oh, yeah. Jordan Poole, Eric Pascal. Yeah, Smiley. we didn't even talk about Pascal, bro. That uh, was sad. That was sad. I'm, I'm, oh, I like yeah. Pascal. Here, I'll I post some do comments well. on Pascal, dude. Like, he he was the best <laughs> part of our terrible 2019-2020 season. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100%. He was a shiny, shiny armor. <laughs> yeah, he, he was good in that Blazers game. 
and he's all even though all he did was play bully ball and he really had no basketball IQ and wouldn't fit in when Steph came back, he's still kind of fun to watch. So I wish him well. He'll do good with his uh, childhood buddy Donovan Mitchell. Wish him well too. I wish him well too. That whole draft, you got Poole in the first, you got Smiley and Pascal in the second. <laughs> Two out of three are gone now. And one's gonna be six man of the year. Nah, nah. I'm just saying there's a trend here. Nah, he have you seen Poole this offseason? He's been cooking up. Don't care. I'm telling you, bro. The cross-league is not ready. I'm just glad Oubre's gone. How are you going to have a lower percentage like than Steph's three-pointer, three-point shooting? What do you mean? He's he not... have a lower... Like he had a... <laughs> you mean no, the no, whole no, no, like, no, field no. goal percentage? Yeah, the field goal percentage or the yeah. layups. Well, okay, yeah. Oh, man. Just layups? Yo, I think so. I, I remember reading online. I forgot where, but I remember like in the beginning of the season, I was like, it's like I had to like bleach my eyes. He was like play. one for forty or whatever on three points. Like yeah. he was terrible. He was horrendous. Yeah, and he wanted more money. He wanted to start in. He wanted to start over Clay. Ridiculous. Well, you can go ride the bench behind Miles Bridges now. Yes, sir. Hey, but they got that drip gang now. Obviously, they got ball. They got bridges. <laughs> That's what we really play for. <laughs> yeah, they should get a super max to uh, PJ Tucker. See, Bulls and uh, Bulls and Heat, they were playing for playoff spots. Hornets are playing for drip. What a way to end it. Okay, twenty fifth episode, guys. I can't believe we made it. Honestly, the first episode we did was like three years ago. September twenty eighteen was the published date. It was Kawhi Leonard to the Raptors. We were discussing the trade from the Spurs to the Raptors that day. So um, we've made a lot of predictions over these last 25 episodes, and hopefully the next 25 doesn't take three years to do. We've already had seven in this year alone, so we're getting more consistent. Any predictions that you want to make right now that you think will happen within the next 25 episodes? How many predictions can we make? Uh, as many as you want. Um, you just got to bear now. the load later. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> like 50, in episode 50, I'm going to clown you. <laughs> Um, for me, I kind of hope I love Giannis. He's a great guy. I just hope he runs it back. And that's one. I hope Carmelo doesn't get a ring. I really <laughs> Why would you like Carmelo? I'm still salt that he, he drove out Jay Lynn back in like 20, 2012. Well, damn. That's, that's some, that's some, that's some deep tension there. <laughs> he revived he, 2012. He revived that. Uh, he revived the Knicks at 2011, 2012. Insanity. Um, but another one, I hope Warriors do get one more shot at the at at the finals because we're because it's starting to close on them for like Steph, Clay, and Draymond. I really hope they can get there. Mm-hmm. And I guess last lastly, hopefully, I can't believe I'm saying this. Hopefully, Ben Simmons can actually shoot the damn ball with confidence. Oh, that one's not gonna age well. Yeah, I really. I mean, <laughs> I want people. I want people to succeed. Like he's going through a Markel Fultz, Fultz, sorry, type of thing right now. But I just hope he's able. Did to you guys it. not see the Ben Simmons shooting jump shots with uh, Rajon Rondo today? Yeah, I was like, come on, man. <laughs> I was like, find someone better. <laughs> I didn't even watch the video. I saw the title and I was like, Rajon Rondo. Dude, I've never seen Rajon. more people just throw up more broken threes than I did in that video. But 
Toronto was shooting really well for the Lakers uh, that postseason, though. If anybody yeah, like can shots. change, yeah. yeah. If anybody can fix, he shot forty percent on like decent volume too. Like every open three that they gave Rondo, he was knocking it down. So, I mean, no. obviously Rondo wasn't the best shooter, but like he he's made some improvements. It got handed to him. Yeah, yo, but Simmons, I we we all know what we lie on that. Yo, yo, where's lethal shooter when you need him? I think Benson needs to like hit him up on Instagram. <laughs> for real, man. The young. All right, like... for my predictions, uh, I'm gonna give you two off the top of my head. I'm gonna say I'm gonna switch over to football a little bit. I think Brandon Ike is gonna be a Pro Bowler. He's mm. too raw not to, in my opinion. I also think that um, switching back to basketball. I think Chris Paul, uh, this is his closest time to earn. I'm going to stick up to Gav a little bit and uh, just tell you this, G. I think that Chris Paul is not going to win another championship or win a championship, really. That's just hard. That's just, you know, <laughs> like my heart just pounds. Don't stop flopping. Don't. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. You're, you're a Steph Curry fan. Steph be flopping too. All no, 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 no. I see him shoot no. trees and he flops his legs out like he just went off a diving board in the Olympics. I don't want to hear it. No. Incident no. contact. Um, my prediction Everyone in the NBA flops. Natural shooting motion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. When is Steph Curry? It's natural shooting motion. <laughs> all, right. all right. Of course. How could I mistaken it? But for my predictions, um, I gave you one of them earlier. Jordan Poole for sixth man of the year. I think his game is uh, similar to Curry's. He'll take a big step up and be one of the main reasons why the Warriors are still contenders. Um, and then, like uh, Vivek, I'll take one in football, and I'll be saying that the Pittsburgh Steelers will win the 20 NFL, NFL 21 championship. Oh, um, man. Not with that TikToker. Oh, my God. Not with and, before that. And, and while I'm at it, TJ Watt, defensive player of the year. Book it. All right, all right, ain't none of these coming true. Okay, that's right. <laughs> well, yeah, one more uh, prediction. I'm yeah, gonna yeah. say this: Shea Gilders Alexander is gonna be an All Star this year. Mm, I think that's a good one. That's a good, that's a good one. bet. All right, I am notoriously bad at championship predictions. I've never won a championship prediction when I've declared it on this podcast, so I'm not gonna do it for my favorite teams because I know it's not gonna end well if it does, and I'd only blame myself. Pick the Browns. Nah. <laughs> um just say the Orlando Magic's gonna win. I would say the Lakers would win. Yeah, I'm gonna declare that right now. I predict the Los Angeles Lakers. I know that hurts Matt to say. Yeah. Biggest LeBron hater. Russell Westbrook finals MVP. I think they're gonna <laughs> make it to the playoffs. I think they're gonna run out of gas round two. I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the exact. I'm gonna say one more prediction. And my last prediction would be that the Lakers will lose, and I don't know which round of the playoffs, but everyone will blame Russell Westbrook. But I'm oh, gonna start blaming him right now. It's the LeBron narrative. Everyone's gonna get him. Yep. I'm just gonna start it now, though. Hey, but also Niners, NFC West champions, Giants. They're going to beat the Dodgers and the West champions. That's all I'll say. I'm not going to predict any uh, anything else because it's not going to be good. Oh, and Sixers aren't going to win a championship in the next 25 episodes. Oh, definitely. Or 25 yeah. years. They're going to they're gonna blow up the roster. I want to say one, twice more. Twice? I'd give it in like two times. They blew up the roster three times, I think, in the 25 episodes we've done so far. 
at I least think, three I, times. I think I think they'll do it one more, and then the second time it will be like a complete explosion. They'll be trying trading Daryl Morey, and then <laughs> I think Doc. <laughs> I think Doc Rivers needs a new new job. He's they just, he just got there. I think he needs another job <laughs> that is oh, not boy. head coach. <laughs> oh, you think they should hire Ty Lue or something there? They should hire Rajon Rondo. <laughs> oh, this is their home, man. All right, I think that will do it for this mega episode, the 25th episode special. Thank you guys for, you know, being loyal whenever you kind of started coming into Sports Council. Um, Here's to another great 25 episodes to come. Yeah, thanks, y'all.